With the Arrive Early, Leave Late podcast, it's a must because I insist on it. Where we check in with Bill Plaschke. Always has great opinions. He's one of the best columnists in the country. Definitely in the business and his entire generation. Whenever Plaschke started, he was already the best coming out of Kentucky. Now you see him on TV around the horn, listen to him on the radio. He's all over the place. But he's exclusive to us on the Arrive Early, Leave Late podcast. Bill, Let's get straight to it. USC, Lynn Swan, Clay Helton, you wrote all about it. What is going on? It's a mess, Beto. It's a real mess. I've never seen anything like it before. And I've been around USC for 30 years. And uh, I've never seen a fan base more disconnected to an administration in my life. And to the, what the fans want and what Lynn Swan is doing is just complete polar opposites. I got to start by saying I love Clay Helton, and he's a, been the best man I've ever covered, a decent human being, a really good guy. And I pushed for him back when he was the interim replacement for Steve Sarkeesian, went to do a column on him. He was, you know, he was the interim back in 2015. And I get to his office, and there's a blanket on his couch, and it's all ruffled, and there's a pillow there. And he looks, it was early in the morning, he looks bleary-eyed. He had just gotten up from sleeping on the couch. And uh, he's slept in his office all week while he was the interim, worked his tail off. And, you know, he instituted things like he let families come to practice on, uh, or families eat meals with the teams on Thursday nights. And he had walk practice just for walk-ons. He did all this really cool stuff. He was the perfect guy to stabilize the program after the craziness of Lane Kiffin and Sarkeesian you know, with the alcoholism and all that. So I pushed for him. I did a column saying, hire this guy, make him the permanent guy. I know he doesn't look like a head coach and he doesn't sound like a typical head coach, but he's what USC needs at the time. Hire this guy. I was the one, I was the main one in town and Pat Hayden did it. Pat Hayden, after they beat UCLA, he made him the, made him the head, the permanent head coach. And I'm like, yeah, hey, see guys, I got, I got some pull in this town, right? I got people, <laughs> people listening to me. Well, then he goes out and he gets his butts kicked by Stanford in the Pac-12 championship game and then loses to Wisconsin in the bowl game, in the holiday bowl. And suddenly it's like, wait a minute here. And I got to tell you, a lot of my friends in town, a lot of USC people said, Bill, you're, you're back on the wrong guy. He's, he's a great interim. He's not a permanent guy. I said, Hey, you stabilize the program. That's what the program needs. And he did. There was no, you didn't hear about any off the field stuff. You didn't hear about any craziness or cheating or any of that stuff. The program was, became clean again. You know, the kids were graduating. But then again, he loses his last two games in 2015. Then he goes out in 2016 and gets killed by Alabama in the, in the season opener and then loses three of the first four games. It's like, uh oh, uh oh, his teams were getting physically mauled. Well, they survived that year, had a, and had a great year, beat Penn State in the Rose Bowl. So they beat Penn State in the Rose Bowl and, I'm talking to Clay and his wife down in the field and they're all excited and everybody's, everybody's going crazy and he's thanking me and, you know, the right choice. The Penn State victory in the Rose Bowl was the biggest victory by USC in a Rose Bowl, most exciting USC victory by USC in a Rose Bowl ever. So it was huge. Well, then it turns out to be a bit of a mirage. The next year they come out, they, they win a Pac-12 championship, but it's a, it's a mediocre Pac-12. And then they just get clocked by Ohio State in the Cotton Bowl, just clocked. And that was the first sign that, uh-oh, this team just can't win a big game under Clay. They're not tough under Clay. They're not physical enough under Clay. They're not disciplined enough. And then comes this year, without Sam Darnold as a quarterback, they're just a mess. And they ended up, they get through the middle of the season, and they get killed. And I was there in Texas. They got waxed by Texas, just overrun by Texas. Got beat by Stanford, just bullied by Stanford. 
And I'm starting to, in my columns now, and everybody in town knows I'm the guy that backed Clay Helton. And I'm Clay's guy. And I'm the guy who thinks he's the best. But I'm slowly starting to realize, and everybody's telling me around me, Bill, you were wrong from the start. This is not the man for the job. And I'm still backing my guy. But you see the cracks. And you see the holes. And you see the problems. And you see it's a, the whole culture there is not one of accountability or discipline. And then, so they go into play Cal late in the season. And I'm thinking, okay, they beat Cal. Then they got UCLA and, and Notre Dame. They can, you know, they can, they win two of these last three. It'll be fine. Well, they lose against Cal and it's terrible. It's just terrible. The game is just awful loss. They blew a halftime lead, bad coaching decisions, everything. Lose a Cal to Coliseum. First loss to Coliseum in a long time. So I'm going out to the UCLA game. It's like, okay, you got to face the music. Clay's got to face the music and I got to face the music. <laughs> this guy might not be the right guy. And by now, Fans are saying, even if he beats you as UCLA, they don't want him. But fans are just in an absolute uproar. And I have fans tell me they'd rather, almost rather them lose to UCLA so they can fire Clay Helton. That's how upset USC fans were. Well, they go out to UCLA, they get a lead, and they blow that game too. And they, so now I'm in full retreat. <laughs> in full retreat. Clay maybe is not the guy. What's going to happen? But I don't. And here's something that's really important. For me personally that I follow, I don't ever write, this guy should be fired. I never write, can this guy get rid of this guy? Because these are human beings. I write, they should think about this. It's their decision. But I never write, they need, you know, I'm not the one firing a guy. I never want to be that guy, ever, ever. I know the latest was Jeff Fisher. But even that with the Rams, he was a, you know, he's a pro coach. The college coaches, and just in general, I just think when you say fire a guy, you're saying take away his paycheck make his family move. That's a big deal. So it's not my job to fire him, but it's, but it's my job to point out that he might not be the right guy for the job. And I started pointing this out after UCLA. Then, then they played Notre Dame and they played great in the first half, but they fell apart in the second half. And again, people are in full uproar. And by now it's done. It's done. He's, he's done with the fan base. So I write, basically the fan base has said it. The fan base says it. This guy's got to go. And USC fan base is very passionate. And that's what helped build that school as far as built its football program is the fans demanded excellence. And they demanded when Paul Hackett got fired that Mike Garrett make a great hire and he hired Pete Carroll. They demand championships. Well, they were flying banners before the game. They were flying banners before the game saying get fired. He came on the scoreboard in the first quarter oh. to thank the fans for their support, and they booed him. Oh, they booed his mayor, and you've never—I've never seen that before. So it's an untenable situation. It's just completely untenable. And I write, well, they—they pretty much know what they got to do. I didn't say fire him, but I said, hey, all the signs. Clay still says he's there. Clay keeps telling us, I'm coming back. I'm coming back. We're thinking this is crazy. What does he know that nobody else knows? This is after the game. What is? Yes, yeah, after the game. He's saying, I'm coming back. I'm coming back. I'm going to be here a long time. Lynn Swan's going to have me back. And we just can't imagine. So then Sunday morning hits. And sure enough, I get a text from a USC booster saying it's, it's happening. It's going to happen. But this is a booster that I hadn't really relied on before for information. So we didn't go with it. But a half hour later, it happened. Clay's coming back. Jeez. So I had I had the story a half hour before, but it couldn't get it double sourced. Mm-hmm. And you can't just go with that. You can't just go with one guy. When that booster texts you that he's coming back, I, I know you want to believe because you know him, but you got double sourced it. But did you really believe like this is really happening? No. Yeah. That's why I thought it was too outrageous. And hmm. this booster is a Clay Helton fan. So I thought he's just he's being one-sided. Okay. And I thought, I just can't trust this guy yet. i tell you what, though. Beto, I trust this guy now. This guy, text, this guy emails me and texts me about something happening now. I'm going with it, baby. But at the time, I didn't. And I thought it was too outrageous to, just because it, 
nothing against Clay Hilton, but it's it flies in the face of what USC. The football program is their biggest marketing tool for the school. Mm-hmm. It gets them the brightest students. It gets them the best teachers. It just does. It's it's a national advertisement every Saturday for what a cool place it is if the team is playing well, and that hurts the whole university. So I thought any athletic director worth his salt would would understand that. So he gets brought back, and I'm talking with Brady on the phone. Brady McCullough, our USC beat writer, we're trying to figure out how, what do we write? How did this happen? How did Lynn Swan go against what everybody thought about? Maybe he was forced to do it. Maybe he's going to fire him later. What? How did this happen? Well, then I talked to a couple of USC people, and they said it's all on Lynn. He's not sure what he's doing. He's never been an athletic director. He's not really close to the program when he was gone from here for so many years. He doesn't really understand the culture, and he had decided to keep him, regardless of how much it would cost to buy him out, regardless that they have a temporary president. They had nothing to do with it. He decided to keep him on his own, and nobody can believe it. So that's what led to my column then the next day where I went after Lin Swan. Because when I go after people like that, I don't do it blindly. I do it knowing that people a lot closer to the program than I am are feeling this way. and People with a lot more influence than I got are feeling this way. And it was clear to me from talking to several USC people that day that Lynn was on an island and that he was going to, he was going rogue. Going rogue? Yeah, going rogue. He was doing it. He wasn't told to do it. He wasn't, it wasn't an economic decision. It was just he didn't want to rock the boat. He didn't want to get his hands dirty. He didn't want to fool with firing, hiring a new head coach. And he's still sticking to this three coaches in 50 years for the Pittsburgh Steelers where he played. But that's, college is different. The environment's different. It's 2018. It's clear moving forward. USC needs someone with more gravitas than Clay Hilton to get the job done, to get the best resistance, to get the best recruits, to get the best game plans, to be the school, that, to be back in the national championship hunt. I mean, they didn't make a bowl game this year for the first time in nearly 20 years. This is the worst season since Paul Hackett, and Paul Hackett was fired. Lynn Swan, for me, Lynn Swan, I, I remember him as a sideline reporter on the Saturday morning ABC game. That's what I remember Lynn Swan as. Yeah, well, that's what some people brought that up, too. They said, well, he's a great broadcaster, Hall of Fame player, but just doesn't understand the role of an athletic director. And that's what people, when they hired Lynn in 2016, that's what people said. I did not write that. I did not cover that press conference. But that's what people were saying. It's just kind of a weird hire. Turns out it really was. You were backing Clay. You said you're the one who said, hey, this is my guy. This is who you got to hire. You were with it. You come to the realization like, he's not the man for the job. Yes. You see the cracks. You see everything that's going wrong with the program. They're flying the banner. I can't get over it because they did that at UCLA with Steve Alford. didn't work. But at SC, they demand. there's a reason they're renovating the Coliseum right now. There's a reason they're running the Coliseum because that football team generates so much, just like you said. How does Lin Swan not see any of this? Because he hasn't been an athletic director before. Man. He doesn't understand the economics of the situation. All the Brewsters are trying to sell are $6,000 PSLs, $6,000 renovation donations for those seats. They're trying to raise $300 million for this new renovated Coliseum. And people are walking away. The, the Coliseum tents this year was the worst it's been in years. They didn't top 60000 once. At all? It's the worst it's been in years. Nope, nope, nope. Didn't do it. Wow. Yeah, because I have a lot of friends that are alumni that are that tailgate. They were going to the tailgate and then not going to the game because they didn't want to see it. Really? Yeah, it was brutal. Somebody said, I talked to a fellow reporter who watched, who walked in when the, they were doing the Trojan walk, when they walk in from the buses through the tailgating. And he said there was just mild interest. Nobody was barely clapping or anything. And that's not fair. And that's the thing. At the end of the day, it's, it's about the kids. 
It has to be because they're not getting paid. They're not getting paid to put up with all this. And yet I see USC players crying after games. I see them putting up with their coach getting booed. People screaming to fire their coach. These kids having to answer questions for their coach. And they're just trying to play football. And that's why it's not fair to the kids either. It's not fair to the fans. But number one, it's not fair to the kids. How does this end? Not well. I was told by one USC person they don't think it's going to end well. It depends. Does Clay have the gravitas to hire the assistants to help him out? He's already firing people. He's going to clean house. Will he hire the right assistants? Who will who will come out here knowing that he could be a lame duck? Not only is he a lame duck now, but I think Lynn Swan's on the very much of the hot seat now as well. Lynn Swan is tied to Clay Hilton. And Dr. Austin is a temporary interim president. She's not full-time yet. If they name a permanent president, he or she will want their own athletic director, I'm guessing. Oh. And their own athletic director is going to want a new coach. So I don't, I mean, unless something they really turn around and it's miraculous, and it will be miraculous, and I will be right there to cite chapter and verse, and I will say, I back Clay, and then I jumped off the bandwagon. I will say that, every bit of that. I gotta, I'll got i be accountable for it. But unless there's a huge, huge change in fortune, next year could be really ugly. Interesting times at USC. Actually, let's uh, switch back and look at a column you did. Thanksgiving, you wrote about a, a woman that Southern California people don't know, but if you're a member of the media, you know her, you've seen her. She might not know your name, but she will take care of you as if you're one of her kids. Maria Hartmark, who works at the Dodger Stadium a Media Dining Room, she was in a she was hit by a car, and you wrote a story about her status and how the community is rallying around her. Yeah, I love writing stories about people in the shadows and people who make our, everybody's life work so much better. And she just, she's the press box uh, dining room manager. She comes in and fills the ice in the soda machines, fills the coffee, fills the popcorn, and just gives everybody hugs. And it's always giving me a hug. Mr. Plasky, how you doing? I love your, she's always complimenting my stories in the LA Times. And the day before the Dodgers playoff run began against Atlanta Braves in the, in the NLDS, she got run over by a car tore up her leg, fractured skull, busted spleen, fractured shins, broken arm. She was a mess. And everybody was talking about it. And she just, she's laid up in the hospital, not knowing what's going on to her future. Can't watch the games on TV, totally apart from the team. And little did she know everyone in the Dodgers, these people she didn't even know appreciated her, raised all this money to start the GoFundMe page. And they raised over $25,000 for her. And they were for her medical bills. But she figured the best way to get a pair of medical bills was to pay off her house. So they she bought, they paid off her house. Wow. And that was a great Thanksgiving for her. And she just got home home several days ago. So I wrote about that. Just about the people in life who do so much for so many people and yet they never know if anybody appreciates them. Well, she found out that people appreciated her. It was very cool. It's very those are the kind of stories I get. I still have to answer email. I get a ton of email on those stories. Readers really relate to that. They love good news. And I love writing good news. I love writing stories that even I sometimes cry when I'm writing it. I love those kind of stories because that's what sports can make you do. And it's at its best. It can make you laugh and cry and think and get mad. And this is one of the things that make, made you really feel. And I really love doing that. It was my honor to write that story. Maria Hartmark, you want to go check that story out by Plaschke. It's uh, right here quoting you. When Rosales read the list of names, Maria cried out in appreciation for everybody who do- donated to her. Why, why, why? Just such a humble lady. Yeah, I went and saw her in her house last week and she'd just gotten home and she had her hospital bed in her living room and you know stuff everywhere and it was a real she's her life is really turned upside down but she started crying when she talked about the dodgers you know everybody from the dodger president to the dodger custodians everyone gave her money everyone gave her love vin scully called her called her at home to, to thank her you know to, to to give his best wishes so yeah people like that deserve the love that all love we can give them and, I, and they deserve to have their story told I'd just as soon tell that story as tell a Clayton Kershaw story any day. 
That's why we love sports. It's they might work for a team, but it becomes family. It's humans, yep. right? It's hum- sports is human beings, and we don't do enough to illuminate the humanity of sports. I hated that I followed a heartwarming story like Maria's with the criticism I had to make of USC and Lynn Swan. I hate, part of my job I hate, Beto, is, you know, going back and forth. Oh, he's the real soft, syrupy writer. Oh, no, he's the real, he's too hard. Either I'm too nice or I'm too hard. It's just, it's hard, but that's sports. Sports gives us a range of emotions, and that's my job, is to, you know, illuminate all the emotions in sports. And not almost, some are pretty like with Maria's and some can be ugly like with USC. And it happened all within a week of me. So that's, it was really kind of the whole spectrum of my job within like six days apart. You know, feeling great about the Maria story and then feeling really sad that I had to rip USC. I'm not, it's not fun for me. Teams think that writers like the team to do bad. They like controversy. They like problems. No, we like it to be smooth. I like everybody to be happy. So the fans are happy. They're reading our stories. They're engaged in what we write and everybody's, you know, it's easier. It's hard when the team stinks. It's hard when change has to be made and it's no fun. And so I went from, you know, waking up in the morning, feeling really like I really illuminated somebody and feeling really good about Maria to wake up in the morning, six days later saying, oh, I feel, feel for these people because I had to be so tough on them. I had to do my job. It's my job. That part of the job is not fun. And you do a great job covering both sides, everything all around. Bill Plasky, the one and only Bill Plasky. Thank you. Now let's take a quick break and get a word in from our sponsor. Hi, I'm Mark Olson. I'm the host of The Real, an LA Times podcast about entertainment and culture. I'm here to tell you about the LA Times' Envelope Live, the only resource you need for FYC season. Screeners pile up. Distractions pile on. Next thing you know, it's time to vote. Let the industry experts at the Los Angeles Times help you navigate the decision-making process. Attend screenings, talks, roundtables, and insider events with the industry's most important players. Visit latimes.com slash envelope live for more information. When Dan Wojcicki joins us, of course, we're going to talk about everything but basketball. Uh-oh. Before we even get to the NBA beat, what you doing? What is toasted ravioli? You just mentioned that off the air. It's a St. Louis delicacy. It is um, ravioli, like the pasta, only it's breaded and deep fried. Deep fried ravioli. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's a little dry for my liking. Yeah. Mike Heflin, you and he were talking about, he's from St. Louis, and you're like, ooh, toasted ravioli. That's like its culinary thing, right? That's what, that's what they do in St. Louis. That's their food. Where's the NBA taking you to some weird food? I had Detroit style pizza. That's the thing that people people kind of sleep on. One more time. Detroit style pizza. What is that? It's where you cook the crust up in cheese. It's like in a pan, but the crust isn't just bread. There's cheese too on the crust. Like it, it, it's almost, and it can be square shaped too. Any good? Yeah. Well, you're a guy from Chicago, so your pizza taste little bit, are different. They're a little more advanced. I'd like oh, to think. Yeah. I, I've, oh I've, yeah. I've, I've evolved past the mere pizza kitchen or Chicago pizza is really just a casserole man. get out of here you you need a fork to eat pizza I'm okay with it I'm give me a New York we've got um we've got to have you over to our house there's a good spot in Long Beach what's that the, does deep dish what's it called uh 5,000 pies yeah because in oh. uh, Chicago where do they take me Lou Malinali Lou Malinali's yeah, great I, stuff it, it, it was good it's awesome I took a nap for about three hours afterwards. that's right it's like Thanksgiving every time oh you my it. goodness now you mentioned Detroit style pizza because you were in Detroit, I was with our old friend of ours, Blake Griffin. He's played right. for the Clippers, and you had a big piece on him. But you told me before we started this, it hit home and it resonated. People really yeah. liked it. Why? I think people are connected to him in Los Angeles still because you know, I mean, he is 
more so even than Chris Paul, more so even than DeAndre Jordan, was sort of like the Clipper, like the face of Lob City for five, six seasons, however long that went. The best era of Clipper basketball ever. Well, he was the face before Chris Paul showed He's up. Here for this. Was, he kind of moved to the side. Like I remember became. being out at the Wiltern, actually, at a friend in town the night that they played the Knicks when he had the Mozgov dunk, which was sort of like his big arrival play you know, in Los Angeles. And remember kind of the being at the bar at the Wiltern and like I had friends that were watching a show and like there's like eight sports fans like kind of in the, the bar there and everybody else was watching the concert and all the sports fans were like kind of high-fiving each other because it was like such an incredible play oh, yeah. and kind of feeling like, oh, well, like maybe the Clippers are onto something here. You know, like maybe this could become a thing and sure enough it did. And then I think, you yeah, know. Yeah, do yourself a favor. Google, I mean YouTube, like Mozgov. Mozgov. And, and you'll say, you know what? Wookie did the right thing. It was a ignoring thrunk. the concert. It was a thrunk. It wasn't was just concert? a dunk. Uh, who was it? Some Scottish band. It was like I had a hipster friend in town. Oh yeah, forget it. We're gonna move on there. I didn't know who it was. Okay, but that's why you were watching Blake Griffin. I think they, they performed in like surgical masks, if I remember. Okay, and that's why Dan Wake <laughs> is gonna bring us a different perspective. How's Blake doing? He's really happy. Um, which in Detroit, was, which was this is sort of I think my big takeaway when I went out there is sort of like so this guy signs a five year one hundred seventy million dollar deal to stay a Clipper. They make a huge deal in the production. You know they they do a mock jersey retirement ceremony at Staples Center. Um, you know they tell him about how the, how he wants to be closer to in LA because he wants to be by his kids. Like you, you know your family's here, we're family. You're going to be a Clipper for life, and he signs the contract. And then eight months later they trade him to Detroit of all places, right? Where you think of Blake Griffin as being, you know, this kind of Hollywood guy, always in commercials and movies and TV shows. Yeah, wasn't he doing stuff like with Funny or Die and Wolf Absolutely. Zero and all yeah, that stuff? all of that stuff, right? So like very involved in that community. And he goes to Detroit. And, and I think I went out there expecting him to be a little bitter, you know, a little, certainly more bitter than he was. And, and the time that I spent with him, you know, I, I saw him over the course of three days and Man, that guy was in as good of a mood as I've ever seen him be in. He had a son was out there with him. He's having a great time. Said things like things that you don't expect to hear, which is sort of like this is more like home to me than L.A. Um, you know, Blake grew up in Oklahoma and you don't think of Detroit as necessarily being Oklahoma. But as soon as you get outside the city, you know, it's a little more country. There's forests. There's deer running around. You, you have a backyard. Um, these are things he didn't have in Los Angeles. And, and he's really comfortable. He's healthy. He's playing great basketball. Probably the best basketball of his career at this point. I and, when uh, he got traded, um, yeah. people were asking him stuff. Because he's very active on social media. Yes. He will engage with people. He and, responded to the trade by posting a Fresh Prince uh, GIF. Yeah. That's how you do it. But also, people were talking to him. He's like, hey, don't get mad at me. I got traded. Yeah, it wasn't on him. Yeah. I didn't ask to leave. It was the team decided, you know what? We're going in a different direction now. It's time to rebuild. And how do we unload a bunch of money? Blake Griffin. As of like today, it's one of those rare, like it kind of worked out for both teams. Detroit knew that they were in a situation where, you know, they move into a new arena downtown. Attendance is poor. Attendance is still poor. But, you know, they needed a star. They did not have a star there. And, and so and they know they can't sign one in free agency. Right. Like that. Kevin Durant isn't going to leave golden state to go play for the pistons no that, yeah no one is so they knew they had to make a deal so the list of available stars they all have kind of buyer beware things on it and with blake griffin it's his health right is like the big thing you have to worry about that and he just signed a five-year deal paying him yeah. you know tons and tons of money so they were in the position to gamble the clippers were in a position to kind of want to like they looked at it decided to shed that deal kind of start over a little bit and in that trade, get a guy back in Tobias Harris, just named Western Conference Player of the Week this week. They get a guy in uh, Avery Bradley, who's a starter, and they get the pick 
Um, I believe that ends up becoming Shea Gilgis Alexander. Um, I mean, they would have taken either him or Jerome Robinson anyways, but you know, they get that extra first round pick. So, you know, they come out of that trade with three starters and here they are 20 games into the season. They're the best team in the Western. Yeah, as we're recording this today, the Clippers have the number one record in the Western. Crazy, Conference. right? Nobody's paying attention because you go to Clipper games and you talk about, or you write about their former players. Yeah, it's kind of weird. It's sort of my connection to them. But the thing, as, how many years were you on the Clipper beat? Were you Six there? years. Okay, here's what I remember about you starting your Clipper era and me ending mine when I was working with ESPN Radio was I would go in the locker room and Blake, he has a different kind of sense of humor. He's very dry. Very dry. So you don't know. But afterward games, this is when you were transitioning from being like, how do I say it? Not punk kid, but <laughs> that kid, because you came from the college football scene. Sure. Where in the prep scene where... He, you're the can, same age as everybody else. Yeah, yeah, and you're also you dress different when you're covering college football. Like you, like if I'm gonna go work a NBA, uh, you, you dress up. You work high school games, you, you dress down, right? You, sure. You know your audience, but you were slowly the transition of Dan Warkey because I know you. I love you, Dan. It was you wear jeans and a collar shirt. The next thing you know, Warkey has some nice uh, like loafers. The next thing you know, Warkey brought up the V neck sweaters. Ugh. All right. And hey, still. but still though, it looked, you had a little tie on. You, you, you look like you went to the gap. It, it, I like this one. You were growing it was up. Banana Republic, Beto. Uh, oh, first of oh. all, it was the Banana Republic. That's how you know. No. Prep, See, I'm, preps, I'm not even giving preps, you credit. When I covered preps and baseball, you could shop at the gap. Oh, yeah. And then as you move up, it's Banana Republic. And then really, it should actually be like some like fancy suit store. But oh, yeah, I'm yeah. not a suit guy. No, no. You don't need to wear suits because you're not on TV yet. I'm, I'm, don't worry. I'm, I'm, I'm your agent. Thanks. 80%. I appreciate it. But I remember Blake would always mess with you. Yes. About what we, sweater you were wearing that we day. We had a good relationship. And it would be, they lose by 20, they win by 20. Damn, Dan. Like, my, favorite, <laughs> my favorite Blake screwing with me story was I had went to um, Cabo for the first time with my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife. And um, we had, my phone had been off for five days or so. Was, I think it was, um, you know, in August or something like that. And we had gotten back. Um, we were flying through San Francisco to get to LA because we used like awards miles or something. And we had just landed. We're sitting at the bar in San Francisco and the Giants are on TV and Hunter Pence is batting and he's got this funky batting stance. And I tell my wife like to, to look at TV, right? And so like I tweet the following exchange. So it's like me, look at Hunter Pence bat. He's kind of funny. Wife or girlfriend colon laughs hysterically. Me, it's not that funny. Girlfriend colon, your shirt's on backwards. So I'd been traveling all day with my shirt on backwards. As soon as I hit send, like the second I hit send, Blake Griffin quote tweets it and just says like, you have a girlfriend? <laughs> And I think, you know, and that's like kind of speaks to sort of his drive. Like, it was funny. um, He saw I had a wedding ring on and he's like, that doesn't mean you can't just walk around telling people you're married. You have to be able to prove that you have a wife now. And so he doesn't believe it. I think he knows now. I think, you know, he doesn't believe it. Probably not a little bit. But so like we have kind of like, yeah, because how do you build those kind of relationships? Well, with him, it's I mean, my thing, and I always tell this to like whenever I speak to like journalism classes, like find something that people are interested in other than the sport you're covering with them right okay. like whatever it is like so you can connect with them on a human level about something other than basketball and with blake it was comedy um like that dude loved comedy central growing up that was you know he'd come home from school and watch tv when they would watch tv after school he's homeschool for a little bit but they would watch comedy central and i think i could relate because when i would come home from school for me it was like mtv and then comedy central as i got older was sort of what we would put on if we weren't watching sports okay you know what i mean and so Blake and I would talk about things like Chappelle's show or different stand-ups, and I knew he was really interested in that. And that's, I think, it speaks to sort of, I think, the misperception of him that he is sort of, quote-unquote, Hollywood, which was, you know, I remember once he told me that 
he got more excited going out and meeting Jeff Ross, who is like the roast, the roast master, the roast master, than he would going out and meeting like Justin Bieber or someone like really famous or something like, like that was kind of the people he geeked out about meeting, like the celebrities that he was excited to meet were like Jeff Ross, which is like, so when you're, that's a big deal though. I mean, Jeff Ross, I like him. Kind of. I mean, like, but now when, when, you, when you're Blake Griffin, like, he's exponentially but, more famous than Jeff Ross. Yeah, but that's, that kind of re- takes me back to where, who he is. He's always been that Oklahoma kid. Like, Matt Camp, they have the same upbringing sure. where it's like, we might be LA, we might be big deals here, but they get excited for the small things. Well, and what they're interested in, right? And, yeah. that, and that's what he was interested in. So I think to me, um, being able to connect with him that way allows me to go out to Detroit, sit down and talk with them assess the fact that like you know he's not just saying oh i'm happy to be here and like kind of girding his teeth through it you know and you, you talk to other people around the organization i've got people there that i know and and stuff and you're able to kind of put together this sort of portrait of, of a guy who is way happier in a situation where i think after the trade people were like man the clippers really kind of stuck it to blake griffin i mean of all the places you could trade him to you traded him to detroit well, we're not trading you to the free press, Dan Wojcicki, national it. NBA writer for the Los Angeles Times. I would be less thrilled. My new Mike. job demands a more serious bio, is what Twitter <laughs> says. Your Twitter is Dan Wojcicki Sports, W-O-I-K-E. Now, you have a real cool feature I like seeing. Is it on Sunday's paper or? Uh, or which one? It's usually on the weekends when your NBA column comes out. That's Sunday. Because it comes out on Twitter a little bit earlier. Saturday's usually, Okay. Yeah. So it's the best game I ever played. Yeah, yeah. Or my my best game? Best game ever. Best game ever. Yeah. Where you ask a player, tell me about your best game ever, and they give you so many different responses. It's so open-ended. Where did this idea come from? And how come it's not a book? Um, So it could still maybe be something at some point in time. Good, I, good, I think good. like I'm keeping track of all of these things. You know, it was sort of this idea that we all have, anybody who's ever played sports kind of has like those stories that they tell Always. themselves of like, for you, I'm sure it's like the day you, you hit a curveball 600 feet or something. Nah, like the Dodger media game where I hit one off the wall. Okay. Yeah, right. That's the hardest you've ever hit a ball. But in five years, I, it's going to go over. Yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> They got to bring the they got to bring the fences in. Man, exactly. Uh, but no, you know what I mean. And I have I remember it was funny. I was talking to someone the other day about a basketball game I played when I was in fifth grade, where before the game we didn't have time to eat lunch, and my mom took me to a, a hot dog place in Chicago, and I got an Italian sausage right before a basketball game. No, and played awesome. You were awesome. And to the extent where up. like they kept feeding me Italian sausage. There you go. Games, and then like my stomach was a total mess. Like it was a one it was a one off. Like but we thought it maybe was a thing. And it didn't work. But anyway, so like I remember that. So like just having conversation with guys, I, I thought it was a fun, open-ended question to ask players. I, the thing I think I've been most surprised Seems by. Seems like they were really opening up to these. It's the, I'm surprised at how few guys have picked NBA games. So, so far yeah. we only have had I haven't one, read one yet. We've had one guy pick an NBA game, Jamal Crawford, picked a game when he scored, I think, 54 points um, in the Madison Square Garden where he made... I think he scored 48 straight, like without missing a shot or something like that. Yeah, but he also added that he had like 100 something in a summer league game. Yeah, he had 118 points in a game that no one saw. Okay, so he didn't that wasn't that. a typo. Yeah, no, that's. Yeah. He really said he scored 118 yeah. in a summer league game in Seattle. Like, I like part of this too that it's like, part of it is like sort of like the fishing tails, like maybe they're lying. Like, yeah. it's hard to prove some of this stuff. Some of it's easier. Like, Derek Rose is the first person we did, and he picked a game in high school where he scored eight points. Eight. Yeah, but two of them were to one the state title at the buzzer. Oh, you, you know, so like and we've gotten different ones. Danilo Gallinari picked a game in Italy when he was like 12 years old where he scored, I think, like 48 of his team's 54 points or something like that. It was Mike Conley last week picked a game when he was in fourth or fifth grade. Kevin Durant picked a high school game or an AU game when he was in eighth grade. You know, we've talked to different players about it. I don't really know where the idea came from. To me, I just thought it'd be kind of a fun thing to kind of check in. I look forward to it now. Yeah, it, it's been cool. 
I think what's what's helped is that we've been lucky enough to get some guys like Kevin Durant to do it. Because now when you go to people, you can be like, oh, well, KD picked this game. And I think players know that it's okay to like kind of be open about it. Yeah, if you can do this for me, where if you tell your bosses, because mm-hmm. they'll listen to you because you're the national NBA writer. Yeah, they do. And you have a professional bio yeah. now. Uh, if you tell somehow, some way we can clip all of those together and live it on a page on the on one of the sports sites. Uh, this is a discussion that I was going to have today. Like, yeah, where, where, where it's just like where you go in and you have, click, like, and next you know, it's like uh, like you're going to go down like in YouTube. You go down this sure. hole and you're like lost. And I just want to read all of them together because I haven't. There's a bunch I've missed. Yeah, I'd like for this to be a thing. Yeah, every Sunday. Yeah. Like, like, you know, kind of as long as I get to do these pages, like that's something I would like for. I love the idea. Where's your travels taking you so far this year gotcha. that you enjoyed? Um, I've been to Canada twice. I've seen the Raptors twice. Okay. I saw them in the preseason once. I saw them in Toronto. I love going to watch the Warriors in Oakland. It's it's so special. And I'm so sad really? they're leaving. Yeah. I mean, the stadium's not, it's not a nice yeah, yeah. stadium. But there, what I like there is Steph Curry's kind of connection with those fans is so special. Um, I think the new Slam Magazine cover is Steph with yeah. people in Oakland. Super cool. It's a really unique relationship between a player and a city. Um, I, I can't even think of one similar to it in sports where you're so in, in, intertwined with one another. So when are you doing a Steph feature? I wrote about him on opening night. That's ah, kind of yeah, what I wrote. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I think as soon as he gets healthy and gets back, you know, I'm going to go see the Warriors in a couple weeks in Milwaukee against the Bucks. Because every NBA player will talk to you in Milwaukee. You this know is, the story, this, right? This is the, the trick is you have to go to the places that people don't like to go out. Well, there's nowhere to go out. That's a see, and that's a misnomer. I like Milwaukee. You can have a good time in Milwaukee, but I'm like a beer and cheese guy. Yeah, you're so, right. <laughs> so, so like, yeah. There's plenty, that should be your Twitter bio. Well, I'm a beer and cheese there's plenty, guy. There's plenty to do in Milwaukee if you like beer and cheese. Yeah, you have an Italian sausage. You can Not, go run a mile or something, or you can write a column. Dan Warkey, D A N W O I K E Sports is his Twitter. Go and follow him. Warkey is actually before we let you go. What's the perception of LeBron and the Lakers around the league? Um, it's a great question, and I think it's been really fun talking to people about it because no one seems to know if they're good or not. And and that's, I mean, almost universal. When I talk to former players, guys who have played with guys on the Lakers who watch that team, scouts, execs, it's sort of like people are still torn because their flaws are so prominent. Like, you can see them. Um, you know, they turn the ball over a lot. They're unorganized at times. They Either they play really fast and they're great on offense and they're not so good on defense or vice versa. Obviously, people think that LeBron is the difference maker. Um, what separates them from sort of all the other teams that they're bunched with long term is that they've got that guy. But I also think people don't think this roster's done, that at some point there'll either be a trade or a, another buyout guy or something like that. What we're seeing right now is not the final product. Of the really? Yeah. It's going to be interesting. You'll be back. Uh, give me a beer you've been liking lately. Um, I've been drinking Long Beach Beer Lab. I like their stuff in, in town, local place. All right. Um, Got to go over. We're in El Segundo, but we have to go over to El Segundo Brewing one of these days. We'll do it. Damn Those are my guys. LA yeah. Times. He's got a professional Twitter buyer now. Beer and cheese guy. As you can tell, I love talking with Dan Wojcik and Bill Plaschke. Another edition of the Arrive Early, Leave Late podcast in the books. Continue to give us your feedback, whether you tweet us, rate, review, share on social media. We appreciate every single one of you. And... It continues to grow and get better. I can feel it. There's that vibe going on with the Arrive Early, Leave Late podcast. Produced by Dave Wine. Engineered by Mike Heflin. Sports editor, Angel Rodriguez. I'm your host, Bethel Duran. Thanks for listening to the Arrive Early, Leave Late podcast. An LA Times Studios production.